0: Welcome to Lab Life with the Air Force Research Laboratory.
1: Hi, I'm Michelle.
0: And I'm Kenneth. Hello, folks. Today we are joined by Lindsay Buckaloo to discuss the importance of musculoskeletal health, fitness, and how strategic napping can help keep you alert during the day. In three,
2: two, one...
0: Welcome again, Lab Life listeners. Today we are joined by Lindsey Buckaloo, the chief of the operational support teams. He's an exercise physiologist by training, and he's part of our 711th Human Performance Wing. How are you today?
2: I'm great. How are you guys?
0: Doing quite well. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, our first question, we had a, a conversation with you beforehand, and something really interesting came up. Um, we heard that there's something interesting called the strategic napping that you brought up. Uh, what is that?
2: Yeah, so one of the things that we teach in our, for our teams in the human performance realm is strategic napping or the value and the impact that nap, napping can have on human performance. So just 30 minutes, simple 30-minute nap can actually impact fatigue and performance later on favorably, right? So while people, and this isn't something that's normal, right? Most people are like, I'm gonna work at least an eight-hour day. I'm gonna stay until the mission is done. And you hear our active duty say this all the time: "Hey, we're 24/7. We're here all the time." Um, nobody ever thinks of, "All right, hey, if I were just afforded a 30-minute nap, what would that be for? What would, what would that be like on the other end of the, my performance, you know, side of the house?" So, in other words, would I be more alert later on in my shift? Would I be able to go longer? Would I be able to? Um, have less errors, and so we have a. There's a tremendous amount of scientific and operational evidence. Um, specifically, we measured this in our satellite operators. At one point, we asked them what kind of shifts they were on as far as sleep goes, and we also looked at the impact of napping when um, they were doing some sleep research. Um, and roughly, you're you're improving your performance about 25 percent just with a 30 minute nap. Um, And so a lot of people, um, they kind of discount it. It's it's not one of those things that's on the tip of everybody's tongue. They're like, yes, you should go exercise and you should eat right. But sleep is getting a lot more and napping is getting a lot more, I would say, headway as far as one of the things that people can do. And so we always like to kind of put it in terms that people can understand, which is, hey, do you get 30 minutes for a lunch? Would it be more well spent maybe taking a nap or taking a rest and you can eat your lunch at your desk? or something along those lines. And, and so people's eyes start to kind of light up. And, and it's only until they try it, um, and they see the results for themselves that they start to say, ah, I got it. And this is especially valuable for our shift workers, right? So we have a lot of issues for people who are staying awake overnight, they don't see the sun, or they're having issues with fatigue, and then they're driving home, right? They're, they're, they're tired and they're on their way home from work. And it's a hazard, actually, it's a problem. And so just by employing some of these countermeasures, specifically napping, that would be an excellent, I would say, opportunity for some folks to look into if they're experiencing some of these issues or they have these issues at their unit. And we teach our teams about this when they come here for training. And we're, you know, we're looking for some of those types of successes out there as they're getting out there and Putting, getting to work, uh, you know, with these teams and seeing what they will be open to.
0: That's fascinating. So, a question then, kind of for the audience: uh, Why is it thirty minutes? Is that kind of the sweet spot for people to take a nap and not go too far into like a sleep cycle? Or correct? Kind of how does that fall in?
2: Correct. Yeah, you don't want to fall too far into kind of what we call the deep sleep cycle. Uh, so you you want it kind of around that thirty minute mark. Um, it doesn't exactly have to be thirty minutes. But it it shouldn't be too much longer than that. I, I would say no longer than forty minutes. Um, probably the minimum time would be around twenty minutes from all the research I've seen. But that's that's kind of your your margins that you have to deal with. And if you can squeeze it in, I would say great, go do it. Um, you know, it's just not in vogue right now. It's not one of those mainstream ideas, and a lot of people kind of they want to power through something. So yeah, it's just an option for folks if they're willing to try it.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> I mean.
1: I'm willing to be a trend center. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, <just saying. laughs> well, so uh, transitioning from that. So you, you mentioned um, that you have teams that you train. So you're part of the base operational support team. What does that mean? What other training do you provide people besides uh, information about how to take a nap?
2: <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So from a operational support team construct, you know, the Air Force medical service was charged with employing teams across the air force that can impact, I would say, human performance in in a large scheme. And so the air force medical service said, okay, what's impacting human performance at our bases? right? Why are they coming into the medical clinic? What are the reasons? And so the two biggest reasons they looked at the data and they said, Wow. The two biggest reasons that people are coming into our clinic are one musculoskeletal injury and two mental health, right? Either mental health injury or mental health issues. And so that's what our teams are made of. And so our base operational support teams, we have a five person team being deployed to each base in the air force over the next five years. And so the rollout is based on the risk how high is the risk both both for mental health and musculoskeletal at these bases. And of course our highest risk bases are first. So the, the, I would say the, the nearest years, the, the first years that we're rolling out are the highest risk bases on down to the lowest risk bases into year five. Right. And so that's what we're doing as far as our teams go and why they are being employed in, in this way. Um, and we host, being the 7-Eleventh, the training aspect of it here, among other things. Um, so we have at the 7-Eleventh, a lot of reach back support, a lot of subject matter experts, and we host a whole week of folks. They come in, they come in for training on sleep. They come in for training on how do we actually go out into units? Cause a lot of medical folks, they've never been outside of the medical group, right? They know how to be clinicians. They come in, they are great, physical therapists. They're great psychologists. Um, they can do wondrous things for you in the clinical environment, but they've never been on a flight line. They've never been to the logistics readiness squadron and see those guys change tires. They've never, they've never seen a jet right in the maintenance squadron. Just being exposed to those environments, knowing that cops are wearing, you know, close to 40 pounds of, of extra weight on them extra armored vests and ammunition and whatever other equipment that they need. That is a tremendous amount of knowledge. You get no other way than by going, talking, visiting, and really getting to know those people in the unit. And it's about those relationships, right? Once everybody kind of sees you're there for them and knowing, hey, you're here to actually meet us in the workplace, which is a total shift in our paradigm, right? We're coming out of the clinic, we're meeting them where they're working, seeing what stressors they have, and then hopefully being able to mitigate those. Um, you know, that's what our charge is, and that's what we're we're hoping to do with our operational support teams.
1: So what you're saying is these teams are really trying to get to the root cause of problems. So they're you know normally these clinicians see people after they've been injured or or they need outreach for mental health but your teams are I- embedded there to look at you know the, this police officer has you know 40 pounds of gear it is it, he or she hurting themselves in the course of their day to day
2: correct so this is one of those this is one of the first times that i've seen a largely prevention target effort out there in the medical world that's going to be able to measure the effect almost real time of what we're doing out there. As far as effort goes, does it work? Does it not work? And yes, we are looking at root cause. We're looking at systematic approaches to, to these issues. In other words, is it the load and the vest? Is it 40 pounds or is it the way it's loaded on the person as the 40 pounds? Is it front loaded? Is it back loaded? Um, Could we, you know, more evenly dispersed. One of our bases actually came up with this idea already. They actually took the vest and then came up with a way to more evenly disperse the weight. And so that's just as an, as an example of what they're doing out there. And so anything that we're doing as far as these prevention efforts, we will be able to measure back here at the 7-Eleven. Um, and we'll be able to tell those folks at the bases what's working and what's not working as far as those interventions go, especially on the musculoskeletal side.
0: Have you found better results with Airmen? Are they responding better that you're going out to them that if, instead of them coming to you?
2: Yes, for sure. You know, this is in hot demand. Um, we have quite a large demand being asked of, of, our, of our folks. Um, and in general, right, um, the line is looking across to the medical side and they're saying all oh, right i get a physical therapist i get a strength and conditioning coach i get you know you name it the medical people coming to me right here in my office right here in my workplace right here to to meet our airmen and so we have a large demand being asked for us to come out there and and, and, and really do what we need to do right um you know afford these people the medical care afford these people you know the interventions that we can give them in their workplace and um yeah it's it's a tremendous opportunity i think we have a lot of people that are injured um, and they just kind of you know and we all have that right you know uh, you know i have a back or i have a shoulder that kind of twinges every now and again and i don't really pay any attention to it but then when somebody's there and they're saying hey I have time for you, or I can help you with any problems that you might have. Then, um, all of a sudden available, if you're available, then people start to come out of the woodwork in so many words and they identify themselves a little bit more readily and they get, you know, they seek care. And so that's what we're seeing is we're actually seeing an uptick. When we first hit a unit, we see an uptick in, and I would say care utilization. And that's not a bad thing, right? It's not necessarily, I, I think a lot of people think, oh my gosh, there's more medical appointments, so it must be a bad thing. And that's not actually it. We actually are encouraging help-seeking behavior. We want people to come out. We want people to identify. We want to identify early and then prevent the bigger problems you know, later on.
1: And how is your team doing any sort of data analysis around whether this is effective or not? Cause this is, I, I might not be using the right term, it, it's sort of a pilot for the air force to see if embedding these teams formally or if that's actually effective.
2: Right. So we were charged with, I would say from the special forces model to bring that special forces model to the regular airmen, but bring a data centered approach. In other words, bring that data program evaluation piece along with it. Because for years we've heard good stories, but we don't really know on the back end: does it save money? Does it save time? Is it worth the, the return on investment? And so at the 7 we have a very unique capability, which is almost a data hub. We have roughly, I would say 15 to 20 separate pieces of data coming in to one place and we're able to, through our very smart biostatisticians and data brace administrators and mathematicians, we're able to, to kind of take all of that information and make it usable for the bases, uh, as well as the folks here at the headquarters, right? At the, at the 7-Eleven to, to see passively what's going on with the data. So we're not actually surveying anybody anymore. We're actually pulling the data streams that are already available and seeing what is changing um, as our team is doing their embedding work. And so um, the good news in this is is we're not giving them another 45-minute survey twice or three times or anything like that. We are actually just measuring the progress of our teams as they're doing their work and, and getting to know which things are effective. Um, and we're able to measure things like fitness. We're maybe, uh, injury rates. We're able to um, look at you know profile rates. We're look at a whole bunch of different things across the gamut as far as um, what the impact is. And you know, a lot of people they're in the medical world. They're really happy just to look at the medical stuff. In other words, oh, are they are they more healthy? In other words, did some of their health indicators improve? You know, did their did their weight change or did their cholesterol improve or something like that? But I got to be honest, what we really are after on the OST side is mission performance, right? Did we get more jets on the flight line? Did we have more airmen available to the commander so that they can get their mission done? That is our ultimate goal. I mean, and we are getting to it through human performance and through health behaviors, but I'll, I'll just say we are ultimately, our, our end goal is to actually improve the readiness of the Air Force.
1: And maybe to clarify for some of our non-active duty listeners, medical profiles, sort of when someone has a restriction on what they can do because of an injury, what is that?
2: Yeah, correct. That's a, it's our lingo for um, when someone identifies to the medical world as far as being injured, and we'll take a musculoskeletal injury as the example. Um, there it's called being on profile. And so what the, what the provider will do is place them on a restriction. In other words, let's say you hurt your back and if a provider, the physical therapist say, says, "Yeah, you probably shouldn't lift more than, uh, 20 pounds. They'll put them on a profile, what's called a profile. Um, so the restriction would be, the limitation would be, you know, no lifting more than 20 pounds, but what that does on the other end is while we're helping the airmen recover and protecting them with their musculoskeletal injury. Then that takes them off of their probably flight line work where they had to pick up tires from the jet and move them around. And so somebody else has got to come in and either work more or sub in. Um, And so it causes what we call a decrease to, I would say airman availability, right? And so what we're trying to do is just decrease those injuries in the long term and probably help prevent those profiles in the overall scheme. And so that's a big, that's a big um, indicator to both our medical group, as well as our line commanders as to um, how much time they lose on on their airmen, both from just going and getting treatment at the medical facility because they have to travel back and forth, see the provider. um, But then they have to go actually go do the treatment and exercises and rehabilitation, as well as there's got to be a substitute airman that takes the airman's place who's now on the profile.
0: And going along that, you may have mentioned it earlier, um, but to get a lot of this data and to actually kind of really make sure you're helping these airmen out to the best of their ability, um, how long are your teams embedded on each base before either moving on or at least addressing like, hey, this is what we need to put forward to help airmen out and help avoid a lot of these profiles?
2: In our initial construct, when we were building these teams, we had um, the mandate of, you know, we were only afforded five people per base. And so with, with five people per base, just given how many we were given, we had to devise a way of how to deploy them. And so what we came up with was a needs based approach. In other words, what are the highest risk bases, and what are the highest risk units on the base? And so we are telling with the data, we're telling our teams, where is the highest risk units and where to go to first. Right. And so, Our five-person team will go to those units, those highest-risk units. They'll embed roughly three to five months has been the average. And then they move on to the next highest-risk squadron. And and so in a year, we're hoping that they get to three to four of the highest-risk squadrons on the base, and then they're able to even circle back on. uh, So a, a big comment sometimes is, you know, that that's that circle, if you will, or, or that aftercare type program, you know, it's kind of like, Oh, you're leaving us high and dry. You came in and you got us all excited and then you're leaving us high and dry, but that's not the intent either. You know, our teams can circle back, um, have a little bit of an aftercare component or follow up, if you will, and help those units stay engaged on some of those, I would say countermeasures or things that they were initiatives that they were trying to do to help those, help those units out.
0: And uh, are you able to touch on what are some of the um, maybe action items or activities you do tell these units once you leave to keep participating in? Is there any big programs like uh, physical training or anything you like really try to promote?
2: Yeah. A big saying on our teams, and this is from here at the 7-Eleventh as well as down at at our team level, is lead with fitness. Um, And this is coming from not only us on the musculoskeletal side, but also on the mental health side. We're actually... Pushing that fitness is a a big win. If you can instill that kind of culture, it takes care of a lot of mental health issues up front. It takes care of a lot of musculoskeletal issues up front, and we can you know then identify the the I would say you're I would say you're more higher risk individuals who cannot participate. It, it's almost like a screening factor in in, in the and I would say a program there. So. From a fitness program side, that's what we really try to instill first. There's other things that people are doing out there that have been, I would say, uh, quite successful. Uh, A lot of it is ergonomically. I would say from an ergonomics standpoint, there's an ergonomics um, kind of training that we put people here through. Both office and industrial ergonomics come into play, right? So we have our quote unquote chair force folks who sit in, front of a screen and sit in front of a computer a long time. And I know no one who does that. And then we have people who are in warehouses and in hangars, and they're reaching above them and they're having to crouch while they're turning uh, wrenches. And can we teach them or can we position anything a little bit, I'll say easier or more ergonomically correct um, so that they don't incur Um, injuries down the line. So those are, I would say, I would say two examples of things that are very common. You know, we have a huge fitness test in in the Air Force uh, that gets a lot of attention, but you know, some of the underlying issues out there, a fitness culture can take care of, right? If you instill a fitness culture, regular fitness, uh, physical activity, you stop worrying about that test and you start actually making progress on all the other things that are, you know, maybe the root causes of why people are getting injured or having issues. Well,
1: and to me, that's really interesting because you, you touched on the diversity uh, in physical activity of, of the Air Force mission. You might have a intel analyst squadron that is you know nose down looking at screens all day you know to analyze intelligence information and that's probably the mental fatigue and probably i would imagine some like physical fatigue of posture of how you sit at your desk and things like that so maybe their physical training their pt might look different than someone that like you said it is changing tires on 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 the flight line or or obviously a pilot that may need to be in even a different sort of peak performance
2: correct we have, I would say, very good physical training programs that are specifically designed for career fields. So there are some stressors that are uh, unique to. Uh, we'll go back to the cops, for example, with that extra load in their in their vest. And then there's uh, some, and, and our data can show this too. We can see um, if our cops have an unusually high low back. Injury prevalence or we can look at our maintainers to see if they have any kind of shoulder issues there Or if it's if it's a higher incidence rate out there because they're working overhead and, and so that's those are kind of kinds of things that I would tell you that we target in our physical training programs And our strength and conditioning specialists are especially good at this. They have uh, an excellent background to be able to target and look at workplace as well as their physical demands that they have on them, and then be able to come up with a program that will not only condition, but also prevent them from getting injuries, you know, in the future.
1: So it sounds a little more complex than just going out and playing pickleball or volleyball or running some laps.
2: Right. And, you know, a lot of people, they use the test as their, I, I would say, as their baseline right? They will train to the test. If you put a test out in front of somebody, they're they're going to train to that test right? because a lot's riding on it, right? I mean, someone's EPR, OPR, their 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 performance appraisal for the year is riding on this pass or fail for their fitness test. But what we're really trying to get people to do is, like I said, a, if we can instill a little bit more of a periodized, it's called a periodized strength-based program, a targeted intervention towards, you know, If someone is just all push, no pull, um, you know, you're going to have a lot of imbalances, right? And so our strength and conditioning professionals as well as our physical therapists can, can target that, they can identify that, and then they can give you a program to fix that.
0: So something you touched on beforehand in a conversation we had uh, before all this was, I think this idea really touches that idea of the Air Force Fitness 2.0. Like the next stage of you mentioned almost instilling this kind of training program that isn't just for standardized testing, but making sure your physical health and of course those medical profiles can be avoided by keeping yourself healthier. Um, Is that kind of the idea or is there something more to this Air Force 2.0 fitness kind of plan?
2: So right now in the Air Force, you know, the fitness testing is on hold. You know, we have this pause due to this COVID-19 and, and as a lot of things have been paused or been put on hold. And so, yeah, you know, when I talk about where I think fitness, the fitness should be going and, and where the fitness of our airmen should be going, this, this kind of approach, I, I, I call it the 2.0 approach is more about a, a more cultural shift. Can we emulate our, our other services where we instill, physical fitness and physical activity more in our culture. Some folks may look at the army and they may know that most things don't happen on an army post before nine o'clock. And that's because they're out doing PT in the morning. If you drive on an army post, they're more like more than not, more likely than not, you're going to get stuck behind, you know, a formation running or just doing some kind of activity. So that's kind of what I would tell you is is what I reference as 2.0 is I'm hoping you know we get past this kind of uh, I'm just focusing on a test and there's a lot of stress associated with that you know a pass or fail item and um, my career is riding on it too all right if if we're just doing the right thing think what kind of benefits that would have not only just for hey my physical health but my mental health my team cohesion uh, how I'm how I'm interacting even at home with my kids my spouse my you know, whatever's, you know, your relationships, it, it has positive impacts everywhere in your life um, if you can put that into play
0: that is inspiring. And that makes a lot of sense to not only help with resiliency, but to help with the health of airmen. Um, but kind of taking a step back from that, some uh, big thing we wanted to touch on too, um, the Air Force in the past few years has definitely kind of touched on this fail forward mentality. Don't be afraid to fail. Uh, don't be afraid to make those missteps to find uh, what works best. Otherwise, we'll never really progress. And something you mentioned was your team kind of has this fail board, almost a celebratory thing saying, hey, we don't have victories all the time and these are the stepping stones that lead us to those big wins. Um, how is that really helped your team and kind of fit with the air force mission.
2: Yeah, so I remember being in a class one time and I remember going through an exercise and one of the things that were was going on was our team was hesitant to fail. Right? We were trying to move through a maze in so many words and we were we were hesitant to take a step forward. Literally, it was just a step forward on the carpet that we were trying to go through a maze and if you didn't get it right, all you have to do is take a step back and try another way, right? But everybody is trying to be perfect. They're trying to either avoid failure. They have a fear of failure. But what it, what did it really do? What did our team really do? We slowed down because we didn't want to fail. At the end of the day, our performance decreased because we were hesitant to take a step forward, lean forward, and try something out. And there was really no risk. I mean, literally, I'm stepping on a carpet. Right, a square on a carpet, and there's nothing going on that's gonna, you know, no shock, no anything, nothing along those lines, right? So, fast forward to when I take over the OST team here, and people are kind of looking at me funny when I say, All right, I have this dry erase board, and this is now our fail board. And they thought that, I think they thought I had failed them all or something like that. In other words, you know, something bad had happened but we actually have a fail board where we celebrate when somebody takes a step forward and you know what? They may not get it right, right? They may actually mess up. They may actually mm, not get it perfect, but you know what? We actually learned something from that and we actually kept on going and we got it right later on, but we went a lot faster that way. We actually turned it into a positive thing, right? With this board, because we celebrate it, it becomes almost a a bonding thing too, right? There's some unit cohesion through this because everybody has this shared experience. They actually kind of look for everybody to be a part of this, um, or even just, you know, just just discuss what happened. So there's a lot of good that comes from this. It's talked about a lot in some of the circles that I've been in, but then I never really see people act on it. This was just my personal thing for my team to say. Hey, look, we're actually going to try this out and see see what happens with our team and see how it works.
0: And have you? Is this kind of reflected in when you've uh, your team has been embedded in squadrons or helping at bases? Has this mentality helped on um, people along the resiliency side outside of physical therapy? Like maybe they're pushing themselves too far, or maybe even afraid to fail.
2: Yeah, you know, one of the things that we do in training here is I tell every class, do not be afraid to fail, fail forward. Don't be afraid to go fast, you know, do it safely. Right. There is, there is a balance there, but at the same time, don't be afraid to go out and try things because this is new, right? We are trying some prevention in the workplace. You may encounter a unit that has no other comparison out there. Like we have very specific and singular units that are experiencing some high stress. Right. And so, every mission and every base is a little bit different. We can't make, you know, the one size fits all. So we have to give our teams that latitude. We have to give them that flexibility and empower them. Right. Um, I'll never forget one of the first wing commanders I ever had in the air force. He said, as long as you're doing the right thing, he said, I'll back you up. And in and, and so many words, he was giving us that permission to fail. He was giving us that permission to lean forward and go fast and, but do it as you're doing the right thing, right? And so that was tremendous for me, right? I, I, I just wanted somebody to be supportive, but also say, hey, yes, yeah, you can go out there and you can try things and you may not get it right and that's okay. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I see our teams going and I see them having actually very good success so far.
1: It's a great message and some exciting progress for, for our teams or airmen to keep them healthy. One of the questions we like to wrap things up you have just talked about you know being inspired by failure but are there any inspiring um, researchers or air force technology that kind of has helped you on your journey
2: yeah we have a lot of i would say technology here at the 7-eleventh I- i've never been in a place that has this kind of technology the kind of people that work here and you know i keep on saying you know every assignment is my best and and truly though this right now is is probably the most aligned i've ever been in my career so quite honestly where i work every day inspires me this is a, a really unique opportunity to in my opinion we have a chance to change healthcare we have the 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 chance to change the way we do business when we give uh, I would say someone medical care and we're we'll be able to show the importance of that. We'll be able to show how much effect that's having and what kind of difference it's making out there. So to me, that's uh, that's the treat that I get every day when I come into work is to you know help make that a reality and get our team, I would say, posture to make that a reality as well. So that's, that's kind of where I would say, from a personal perspective, that's where I come from when I look at what are we going to do you know, today and how can we help our airmen tomorrow?
1: Well, it's great to love your job. Uh, thank you for joining us on the podcast. I think uh, we're recording it now. It's almost 1230. It's probably time for all of us to go take a nap.
0: Hey, talk about being caught sleeping on the job, right? <laughs> exactly. You just have to make it part of your norm, right? <laughs>
1: Well, thanks for joining us. This is great.
0: Yeah, thank you so much.
2: Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure.
0: Make sure to follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube at AF Research Lab. And remember, stay curious.
2: Logging off.